This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello and welcome to Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love. I'm Carmen Pate and I'm your host for today's podcast. How does our view of God's supreme authority, His sovereignty, affect our view of salvation? How do we balance God's sovereignty with free will? Well, today we'll get answers to these questions and more regarding God's sovereignty as we begin a series of programs focusing on the grace of God. Dr. Ken Wilson is our guest today. Dr. Wilson graduated as a medical doctor from the University of Texas system, followed by an orthopedic residency and hand fellowship. He then taught as a full-time academic professor at a medical school in the state of Oregon for many years. While maintaining his hand surgery practice, Dr. Wilson decided to pursue theology. He holds a Master's of Divinity from Faith Lutheran Seminary, a Master's of Theology from Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary, and he received his doctorate in theology from the University of Oxford. Dr. Wilson continues to perform hand surgery while teaching as professor of systematic theology and church history right here at Grace School of Theology. In his spare time, if he has any, he enjoys horseback riding on his cattle ranch in Oregon, where he and his wife, Lynn, have raised four children. Well, Dr. Wilson, thank you for joining us today on Saving Grace. My pleasure. Before we get started, let's talk just a moment about your emphasis in your doctoral studies. Yes, my uh, doctoral thesis was on Augustine, his view of uh, election um, and free will. Uh, versus God's sovereignty. So oh, that was my wow. focus. Excellent. Well, that certainly uh, plays right into our discussion today as we begin this series. This is all going to be part of a course called The Grace of God. Uh, our first uh, series will certainly be on sovereignty. We'll be talking about salvation uh, and then service rewards at some point. Mm -hmm. Of course, we'll also be telling our listeners how they can uh, participate in this course or uh, support those who do. But to get us going, let's just give a general working uh, definition, if we could, for the word sovereignty. What does that mean in, in light of God's sovereignty? Um, in the light of God's sovereignty, it would mean his rule, his rule over the universe, his rule over the earth, uh, that he is in charge and he is in ultimate control. Mm, all right. That's great. Well, you know, you discovered in your research of the early church fathers that they actually had a, a good biblical understanding, obviously, uh, and were in pretty much agreement as to uh, the view of God's sovereignty in light of free will of man. Uh, talk to us, if you will, about that uh, that understanding and the, the, the tenets that they agreed upon, because certainly that changed when Augustine came on the scene. Yes, they did. The early church fathers, such as Justin Martyr, uh, 160 to 165, Irenaeus, 180 to 185, uh, taught that uh, God was a, a Christian Jewish God who did maintain a view of allowing Christians to believe without having to insert some kind of faith into them, that he was sovereign, but he was also a God who allows freedom of choice. That was the standard view, and it was a standard of view against Gnosticism. Gnosticism believed that God controlled everything, 
and Stoicism particularly did, mm -hmm. that God micromanaged, micro, I call it micro-dictatorial management yes. of every single thing uh, that happened in the universe. And so they were fighting Stoicism and Gnosticism saying, no, that's not the Christian view of God. The Judeo-Christian view of God is this, where he allows freedom of choice. Mm -hmm. And how does uh, foreknowledge play into that understanding of sovereignty? The earliest fathers viewed foreknowledge as critical, that God made his choices based upon foreknowledge. Uh, which was not, an, I mean, the concept well goes all the way back to Cicero, pre-Christian, on whether foreknowledge plays into it. But they strongly and unanimously supported foreknowledge as the way God makes his decisions. Um, when Peter says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, they understood that as based upon God's foreknowledge. That was their view. And so when we hear uh, conversations about, well, you were predestined to, to be saved, mm -hmm. that was really based on God's foreknowledge That's of our correct. making that decision for, for Christ. That was the standard view against Gnosticism and Stoicism. Okay. I, I love you. You give an illustration when you're teaching this, and though we are mostly audio, I think those who are viewing might mm -hmm. be able to understand the idea mm -hmm. of, of a book, falling yes. book. Tell us, tell us how you would explain that. Sure. Well, what I do is just hold up a book and say, if I drop this book, what's going to happen? Well, all of you know that if I drop the book, gravity will make it hit the floor. And so I said, if you know, do you know 100% it'll hit the floor? Well, barring a miracle, yes, it will hit the floor. I mean, 100%. So you, you have perfect foreknowledge that this book will hit the floor when I drop it. Uh, and so my question is, Carmen, if I drop this book and you foreknow it's going to hit the ground, did you cause it to hit the ground? Well, nobody would say that you caused it. So the point being that foreknowledge is not causal. Uh, you can have foreknowledge and not be causal, and that was the way that it was viewed by the early church fathers. Oh, that's, that's really a, a good visual, I think, for understanding uh, the foreknowledge of God. Well, there's also uh, something that they understood is that God limits his power. When we think about God's sovereignty, and he is all-powerful, uh, that is, is different than the way the Stoics would view it or the Augustine uh, Calvinists would view it. Explain what, what your understanding is of God limiting his power. Sure. Um, God is not obligated to do anything uh, as God, and yet he does limit himself. Um, he tells us that if we believe, we have eternal life. Um, that, is, that is one way in which he limits himself. He also limits himself by not forcing his desires upon us. Um, God desires all persons to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, and yet not all do yet it's his desire. So he doesn't force himself upon human beings. He gives them opportunity, and sometimes his desires are frustrated. Mm -hmm. And I separate that between his decrees and plans. God's plans and decrees are never frustrated. That's open theism. That's, yes. that's not correct. But his desires can be frustrated, just like Jesus weeping over Jerusalem and mm -hmm. said, oh, I wanted to just bring you into my arms like a mother hen protecting her chicks, but you wouldn't have it. And so his desires can be frustrated, but his decrees and plans can never be frustrated. You know, we talk so much on this program about the love of God, mm -hmm. a love that can't be earned, a love that cannot be lost. And when you talk about limiting his power, mm -hmm. I just had just such a feeling of love in my heart because right. 
as you point out, he does that because he wants relationship with us. Precisely. Yes. He's a very relational God, and that's something that, uh, again, the Gnostics, the Stoics, and the Manichaeans, which were all heavenly influencing uh, Augustine in his view, uh, that view was a non-relational God. And again, Christianity from the earliest times emphasized God's relational aspect, coming yes. incarnate as Christ, his desire to save, his desires to relate, even to the Old Testament prophets. He was a loving, relational God, and that's the difference between Christianity and these other views. Mm. Well, we know when Christ was on earth, he obviously was fully man, but he was also fully God. Yes. That was an instance where he chose to limit his powers. Why? Well, uh, first of all, if he'd exposed his glory, everybody around him would have died. Um, we know that from the, from the verses. Nobody <laughs> could see true. God and live. Exactly. So he, exactly. he pretty much had to if he wanted. Mm -hmm. If he was loving, nobody would live mm -hmm. if he didn't hide his glory or suppress that, that visible glory. Yes. So again, I would say it was love for his creation that would do even that. Oh, no doubt about it. Well, our guest today is Dr. Ken Wilson. He's professor of systematic theology and church history at Grace School of Theology. We're discussing God's sovereignty over two weeks of programming as part of a series highlighting the school's new Grace of God course. Now, later in the program, we'll tell you more about the course and how you can become involved as a student or as a supporter of God's great work here. But let's get back to our discussion with Dr. Wilson. Let's talk about the influences that uh, Augustine coming on the scene had on this issue of sovereignty. Uh, his interpretation of scripture has changed the thinking of many theologians since that time and certainly has impacted uh, the, the understanding of God's sovereignty and particularly free will. What, what, how did he influence the early, the early teachings? Yes, Carmen, for 300 years, there was a unanimous view of God as uh, allowing human freedom and that he was sovereign. Irenaeus strongly taught God's sovereignty, and yet he did not believe that it influenced free will. There was no, no debate, no problem between God's sovereignty and free will until Augustine. That's when it started. Uh, and I'm not the one that says that. You can read that in many places. That mm -hmm. is where the problem started. Yes. Augustine's problem was that he was a Stoic. He was a, a Stoic from the very beginning. His first book, uh, De Providentia, uh, on providence. And he talked about this Stoic view where every leaf that falls, falls exactly there and not there one inch away because that's where God wanted it to land. Even the rooster fight, the muscles in the neck were moved by God. He had a very micromanaging, dictatorial view of God from his Stoicism that persisted throughout his life. It finally went out over the Christian view of God because of the Plagian controversy. Uh, but he was also heavily influenced by Manichaeism. He was a Manichaean for 10 years. Most people say nine. It was actually 10 years, a whole decade. And that view was that God elects some to hell, elected some to heaven, mm -hmm. and it made no difference what you did or what you thought. It was just predetermined, and you had nothing to do with it. And so that was the view that influenced him in his final theology, unfortunately. Uh, he was also a Neoplatonist. Um, all of these views are very um, much into a view of God that is not as relational as the Christian God. And in fact, Augustine, for the first half of his life, believed the traditional view of the 300 years previously. It was only after 412 that he tended to change and made a different view of God who was not as relational 
Mm. What has that done to the church today in regards to uh, the, the really the lack of joy that you see among Christians today? Well, I mean, we're created to love God and to worship Him, and the Trinity is love. I mean, you have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit loving each other and in this relationship. And so when you strip away the relational aspect of God by making a, a dictatorial micromanager over everything, you really take the heart out of Christianity, uh, of a loving God, and we're supposed to love one another. So I think it's extremely damaging to Christianity and the grace of God to view it any other way other than as love. I agree. I agree. You say that if we diminish free will, we diminish the sovereignty of God. How so? Uh, great question, Carmen. Um, Irenaeus actually spoke on this specifically, saying that the Gnostic God was a puny God. Mm. Um, if you watch the Avengers where they whack and said a puny God, that's, that's what Irenaeus would say about the Gnostic and Stoic God. The Stoic and Gnostic God had to micromanage every detail to make sure it turned out the way God wanted it to turn out. What Irenaeus says is that the Christian God is so big, so huge, he can allow creatures free will to do anything they want, and he can still make things work out the way he wants them to work out. And that's incredible. <laughs> that's incredible. I, I compare it to a chess master yes. playing a kindergartner. Uh. That a chess master can let the, let the kindergartner make many moves in a row, and it won't bother him a bit because he's so much more powerful and in control. And that's the view, the Christian view of God. Oh, that's a great analogy, yes. Well, the Augustine Calvinist view would say that we lost free will at the, at the fall of man. So how do they explain uh, one having faith in Christ? Where, does, where do we get our faith then? Sure. Um, the free will is lost, according to Augustine, except to sin. And that's a stoic concept as well, which we don't have time to discuss now. But uh, that was completely lost. We, we cannot even choose to believe that God must infuse faith in order for somebody to believe, which is actually a Gnostic concept. That began with Basilides uh, in the second century, and Clement of Alexandria opposed that view, saying that's not a Christian view, that God does not insert faith or, or produce faith or make faith come into the person, but that that is something the person is able to do in and of himself or herself. We can believe. That's why we're commanded to believe in Scripture. So that was the view. Augustine switched that to where you cannot believe on your own. God has to insert faith. Okay. All right. Well, you know, next week we're going to be focusing on God's will. Uh, but though his plans can't be thwarted, we know that, right. you do say that his desires and his will can be. Yes. How do we understand God's plan for our life as we see the many choices that are out there each and every day and still say that, well, we're, we want to be in God's will. We want to be in God's will, but I want to be about the plan that he has for me. Mm -hmm. Help us to understand how, how do we apply that to our daily life? Sure. The um, obvious verse is where Paul says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And that word is thelema, which means desire. So the desire of God is that we be sanctified, that we become more like Christ as Christians. So that is the goal. That is the desire of God. Uh, whether we do it as a, a carpenter or as a plumber really doesn't make a difference. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, we, we become sanctified. So I think all too often we as Christians get hung up on little details which God is saying, you know, I really don't care if you do this or that. I want you to be sanctified. And that's yes. the real goal. 
Oh, that's that's encouraging. Well, you know, I always like for every uh, professor on our program to have opportunity to speak to our audience in regards to the message of grace, because when you are have been sitting under uh, a, a teaching of, of the Calvinist or Augustine, you know uh, that there are things that you don't understand about God that you feel like you really can't make a choice for him. So would you just share your heart uh, in, in sharing that grace gospel message with our listeners today? Well, sure. The, the problem with the view of God uh, that's held by Augustinian Calvinism, and it, it, God decrees everything, he becomes the author of evil. That's inescapable. Um, I just did a class on that uh, this morning. That if you have a God who is taking and, and decreeing evil, uh, Augustine started that 1,600 years ago, mm-hmm. and not a single theologian since then has been able to figure out how God can decree evil and not be the author of evil. So it is absolutely imperative that we have the biblical view of God as a relational, loving God, a gracious God who desires every person to come to him in repentance and faith. And that way, that is how we receive his love and the grace of God. Mm. Wow. Well, and we know that uh, understanding that we do have free will gives us freedom to live day in and day out for him. The... uh, the Stoic view is truly, you know, we talk about grace uh, and we have a biblical understanding that does bring us that freedom in Christ. Those who are under other teaching, under the Augustine view of, of uh, God's sovereignty, would say that it's imposed grace. That's a totally different view of just the word grace. Yeah, it's an oxymoron, actually. Yes. (laughs) It's a word that doesn't make sense because uh, that phrase, imposed grace, is like imposed love. Um, There's no such thing. Um, We love freely and grace is free as well. It's not something that is imposed. Mm. So if we, um, we can experience God's grace knowing that it's not something that we... Uh, have to accept. It's not something that has to be a part of who we are. So we have that freedom to enjoy him as as his child. How would, uh, how do you explain uh, some of the churches today who still are teaching uh, from the Augustine Calvinist viewpoint? Uh, They would tell you that they teach faith alone, Christ alone, Mm -hmm that they teach uh, grace completely. Mm -hmm. Uh, So how would you say that what our understanding, how does that differ in the pulpit, if you will? Uh, What what will you hear differently in a pulpit that teaches free grace Mm -hmm. uh, that um, really gets people set on the right track? Yes, well, um, the Manichaeans taught grace. They were a heresy uh, around 200 And they said, Jesus, come with grace. There's a hymn where it's repeated 10 times. Uh, But it was an imposed grace. They did not believe that we could respond to God, that he had to infuse that grace. He had to infuse the faith. So when you have that kind of view of God, it leads to serious problems in God as a loving father. Um, So in a pulpit that teaches Augustinian Calvinism, since he, he received that view from the Manichaeans, you're gonna see a more stern non-relational, non-loving, relating God, and it's not grace. It is a Manichaean heresy. It is not grace of the Bible. 
The grace of the Bible is the relational loving God who invites us to follow him, to have intimacy with him, mm -hmm. to have a relationship with him. And that is the beauty of the gospel is being able to be loved by God and to love God and each other because of that love that never ends. You can't earn it and, and it will never go away. Absolutely. Well, how does that affect those who have fallen? Because we know we fail every day. We, we still continue to sin. Yep. There are some who have turned away from the church, haven't yes. been in the church in years, but we're saved as children. Yes. So how does that, that thinking, that line of thinking affect their life? Uh, very important, Carmen, because when you have a Augustinian Calvinist view, you must say, oh, I'm not really elect. I'm not really, I never was God's child. This proves that I wasn't God's child, which is completely wrong-headed thinking. Um, as a free grace person, I would tell such an individual, yes, if you believed in Christ, you're still God's child. Nothing can, you can ever do can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, therefore, we started a completely different point. I'm able to encourage that person in the faith and said, you need to become uh, get in with a body of believers, read your scripture, let's, let's help you become more like Christ instead of just having them worry they're going to hell because they didn't live up to what, what they're supposed to do, which is a works-oriented mentality, not a grace mentality. Yes. So uh, for those listening who have not walked with the Lord in some time, mm -hmm. what would you encourage them to do today? I would uh, say understand God's grace, understand his love. Um, that often comes from a wrong view of God. I know many people who have left the church because of a wrong view of God, mm -hmm. and the believers or Christians in the church with the wrong view of God. Uh, Christians were more damaging to ourselves and people falling away than you can imagine. And so if they can understand the grace of God, how God really loves us, I think it will spark an interest in regaining an intimacy with God that's really powerful. Yes, I think of just as members of the church how it's so important that we're not judgmental of those uh, individuals but yet come alongside them. Yes. There seems to be real opportunity in the church today for discipleship, for mentoring. Uh, do you feel like that's something that is lacking uh, in the body of Christ today because we see so many people who have failed mm -hmm. turning to the world for their answers rather than to the church. Yes, um, I teach a class on ecclesiology and that's one of my comments is that we're, we're far too off from what the Bible teaches mm -hmm. and we need to be encouraging one another daily to love and good works and in supporting one another. Uh, we shoot our wounded all too often uh, and we yes. need to be able to, to help as a medical doctor I'm very much into helping people become healthy, not just physically, but also spiritually. And the way to do that is to encourage them not to beat them up over their sin. Oh, I appreciate that so much. Uh, so, Dr. Wilson, this uh, discussion we're having came because there is a new study, uh, the new course offered by Grace School of Theology called The Grace of God. Right. Uh, tell us about your role in that course and, uh, and what it really will present to the students who participate in it. Yes, it's a, a short one-hour credit course which simply gives an introduction to the grace of God. Uh, I was asked to bring in several professors and I've had uh, Dr. Anderson work on salvation, Dr. Wall uh, work on service awards, and I'm doing the sovereignty of God. So it's a very brief introduction to what type of teaching you'll be receiving and uh, what kind of uh, professors are available at Grace School of Theology. 
Oh, that's wonderful. Well, we look forward to learning more about that, and I know that our listeners will want to get involved. So thank you for being a part and for sharing that with us today. Thank you. Well, I look forward to having you back again on Saving Grace. We'll dig a little deeper uh, into the issue of sovereignty. And, uh, and down the road, we also want to talk to you about God's role in government, his sovereign role in government. Uh, being an election year, I think it'll be a fascinating subject to uh, discuss with you because you've written a book along that line. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Carmen. Well, we would love to get your feedback about our podcast content. Just send your questions or your comments to savinggrace at gsot.edu. We will answer those questions on future podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter for updates on new podcasts and events. Our handle is at Saving Grace Cast. Be sure to tune in to the next edition of Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love. Dr. Ken Wilson will join us again as we do go deeper into God's Word regarding His sovereignty as it relates to the will of God. Well, we hope you'll join us. Thank you for tuning in today. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and it can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.